Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is painless retail returns with my friend Christian Piller. Christian is co-founder and chief commercial officer of Pollen, and that's Pollen like bees pollen, P-O-L-L-E-N. Pollen is the first technology platform revolutionizing the reverse supply chain for retailers. And they have pickups from consumers' doorsteps for less than a standard return shipping label. Plain and simple, Pollen is a game changer, and Christian is a very interesting, smart guy. Check out my interview with Christian Pillar. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Port X Logistics. Port X Logistics is an asset-based transportation company, and they specialize in containerized freight. So if you're having trouble moving your cargo out of the port, very common problem, then reach out to my friends over at PortX Logistics, and their website is portxlogistics.com. They're experienced, and they offer service at every single port and every single rail ramp in the United States and Canada. They have a, an approach that is guided by their four pillars, which is culture, service, tech, and trucks. Again, check them out over at portxlogistics.com. So how's it going, Christian? Great. As you can see from the background, I'm expecting a baby. I'm sure in the office right now with uh, my unborn child. So things are really good over here. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So Christian, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah. Uh, Christian Pillar, co-founder and chief commercial officer of uh, Pollen Returns. Our website is returnsuck.com, which is, you know, that's the problem we're trying to solve, right? Is, is the, the painful returns experience for Consumers and retailers, um, calling in here from Chicago, Illinois. In your baby's room, soon to be baby. In my, in my, yes, we have to. We just got back from two baby showers, so I have to sort things. But yeah, right now, I'm calling from my baby's room. <laughs> so when is the baby due? July 11th. Very nice, very nice. So is this your first? My first, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. I always know it's not easy for women to be pregnant in the summer. So at least it's not September. I had a kid born in September. I remember my ex-wife was dying in August. <laughs> She's like, yeah. too damn hot. Anyway, so returnssucks.com. That's the website. I've looked at it. Just returnssuck.com. Yeah. But... So tell us a little bit about what Pollen does and how you guys do it. So we overlay the existing supply chain infrastructure. So we are not creating a new army of drivers. We don't have our own warehouses. We don't have our own sortation centers. But what we do is we dispatch a gig economy driver to pick up a boxless, labelless return from consumers' doorsteps. So consumers pick a convenient time of day for them to have the return picked up. And then a gig economy driver will go uh, pick it up with some other packages and they'll bring it to the FedEx or UPS. So it solves the main pain points that customers tell us about online shopping. The most inconvenient being I have to bring it to a FedEx or UPS or Kohl's. Second is I have to find a box. Third is I have to print a label. People don't like doing that. It makes it painful. Returns suck. Before we hit record, we talked for way too long about all the challenges with online online purchases. And again, we all do it. And I think we all kind of love the convenience of it. 
but there are certainly problems. And when, when it comes to returns, I know it's way more expensive to return something than to receive it in the first place. And I think all these companies are looking and saying, how do we manage this? Because if I'm a, an online brand, or it could just as easily be like a, a retail retailer, like a Target that does uh, online also, you're looking at that giant stack of stuff in your warehouse that has to be gone through. And somebody has to say, this goes to the garbage, this has to be repaired, and this has to be repackaged so we can sell it again. And it's not easy. It's not easy. If you go to a warehouse, especially an e-commerce warehouse, you can tell where the returns are. It's the messy area. Yes, it is. And it's not just messy at the warehouse. It's messy from the beginning. From the time you try that shirt on and go, I thought I would look better in this. <laughs> now I'm now I'm going to return it. And then you kind of half wonder, eh, that's a pain in the ass. Do I really want to return it? Or do I just want to figure it out? Or what I've done, and this is a great way to do it, you put it on a hanger in your closet and wait a few years, and then you give it to Goodwill. <laughs> yeah, it do- yeah, it does happen. I think we've all been conditioned as consumers to expect things really fast and also just be able to order whatever we want. And you know, before we, we hit record here, you were talking about treating your house as, as a changing room. And that's really what's happened. Or there's boxes that are designed to send you five things and you send back, you keep one or five or send the whole thing back. So that's driven an increase in in delivery demand, but it's also driven a huge increase in returns. And we saw Amazon and, you know, the mid and early or like, you know, the 2010s starting same day and next day delivery. And they revolutionized how you get packages to consumers doorsteps. And everyone else follows suit. No one has really took a hard look at the returns process. No one's revolutionized the returns process like Amazon revolutionized the delivery process. And that's becoming a really big challenge for retailers and consumers. Consumers don't like the experience and it's super expensive for retailers. So it has to change. Yep. Yep. Well, we'll come back and talk more about painless retail returns. Christian, tell me a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before we you started pollen. Yeah. So I grew up in uh, Endicott, New York, which is outside of Binghamton. It's uh, in upstate New York. I went to Purdue University under undergrad. Got nice. my, uh, and, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I, just, I was actually just named uh, the Daniel School of Business Young Alumni Award winner. So that was, uh, that was really exciting for me. And then um, went and got my MBA at, uh, at DePaul University here in Chicago. Spent some time at Granger. Amazon, Project 44, and then um, joined Spencer Keyboom, uh, Mark Hart, and uh, Chad Osgore as co-founder of Palm Return. So that's where, I'm, that's where I am now. Well, I met you and I, well, I think we talked on the phone and then I met you at um, Manifest in Vegas. Yeah. I'll see you next year, uh, Manifest Vegas. It's the same week as the Super Bowl and Super Bowl is in Vegas next year. And I met your partner, Spencer. I did not meet your other partners. So they, they weren't they weren't there. They were they were working. Somebody's gotta do somebody's gotta work at your company. That's right. Someone has to, and that's Fed <laughs> Mark. Um where Sp- Spencer and I are in Vegas meeting you. <laughs> well, I do know we were at the beer pavilion, so it was less <laughs> less work than uh less work than your other partners are doing. So 
So why did you start Pollen? What did you guys see in the market that you said, we think we can do something different and better? You know, the, the genesis of the idea was Spencer's. Spencer's an interesting guy. He played professional baseball for nine years, played three years in the big leagues with the Washington Nationals. But it's actually an idea that he had in college when he was at Clemson University. And he wondered why it was done this way. Then he went and played baseball. And then when his baseball career was over, he realized that nothing had changed. So that was really how, why, uh, how and why he was the first one in on Pollock. And you know what's interesting is just it makes a lot of sense, but then you look around and realize that everyone's kind of tried to do some other way, but not really fundamentally solving the problem. The main problem for consumers being you still have to bring it somewhere. And for retailers is it's expensive and it takes too long and things get thrown away when they really don't have to be. So, you know, pollen solves all those problems. So um, that was really why Spencer started. That was really why Spencer started the, started the company and then, you know, met Chad, Mark and I along the way. And uh, now it's the four of us. We're having a four or uh, excuse me, a, a fifth guy here to, to focus on our technology. Uh, so we're still in the early phases, but um, things are looking really good right now. But you already have some customers. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you yet. <laughs> That's right. We have, we have customers. The product works. We are in late stage sales cycles and close to pilots with a handful of Fortune 500 retailers. Uh, yeah, we're live in in seven or yeah seven markets, so cities within states, and we can easily expand anywhere. And we're we're going to. We're going to move really fast over the summer. So. Let's switch gears again and talk a little bit about some of the challenges. By the way, anyone who listens to my podcast hears me bitch about this all the time. When I go and buy something online, first off, the retailers for clothes, and I think this has always been the case with women. You never, women never know their sizes because it changes brand to brand. And I feel like that's happened more in men's clothes where you think, oh, I I usually wear this size. You order it and it's completely different than what, by the way, I can say this. And I, by the way, I love Joseph Banks and I bought shirts there for years. Then all of a sudden they closed during COVID. They sh closed a lot of their stores. I think they're owned by a same group that owns men wear, men's warehouse. But anyway, the shirts that I have in my closet that I bought many times from them, I knew the exact size. I probably bought these shirts at their store many times. I ordered those shirts completely different. And I was like, oh man. And when I called them, I remember they I called on the phone because I wanted to understand what was going on. And the guy says, oh yeah, we switched suppliers or something. Sizing is a real problem. And, and secondly, and you already alluded to this, is when I do have, oh yeah, we should also talk about this. Because sizing is a problem, people, and I think this is more, I have daughters and they can say, I know they do this. They ordered that sweater, five of them, three different colors, two different sizes. They try, try them all on. They treat their house like it's the changing room. And then they put four back and they want to set, send four back and keep the one. And we've encouraged, we the, the retailers have encouraged this. Bracketing is fine. But it's expensive because now I got to send four back and they have to be, we have to figure out where they go. They go back to the store do they get disposed of because it got damaged or dirty? Does it have to be cleaned? There's a whole hassle right there that I think they call it disposition. But you also said something to me before we hit record that people hate having to rebox, tape it up, print out a label, 
and then drive it to the store. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah. And by the way, when I do put it back in that box, tape it up, I put it on the counter and then I wait a, wait a week or two. Then I print the label, they put the label on there and then I wait a week or two. And then I make the long trip a quarter mile from my house to the UPS store. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. I hate it. I told you when I'm trying to force myself to go to the gym, if I have something on the counter, I tell myself, the gym's right across the street. I will just grab that. It's part of my discipline. <laughs> so when you have to discipline yourself to do it, that tells you how much people don't like doing it. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the, the metrics here in our, our survey. 32% of consumers say the most inconvenient part of an online return experience is taking it to a logistics service provider. Like, you know, take, so I live in Chicago. Yeah, I live in Chicago, so I can walk to these places. But, you know, that could be considered my workout, I guess. But it, it's inconvenient. And the, the point you made about you put it in a box and it sits on a counter somewhere for a week or two, that is a very expensive for the retailers. If it's electronic, it's depreciating value. Even if it's you know a t-shirt or something, the longer it sits in your hands as a consumer, the less likely it is for a retailer to be able to resell it. And if they can't resell it, that's lost revenue, more goes to liquidation, more goes to trash, and then it becomes like a, you know, a landfill issue. So most consumers take 90% of their allowable return window just because it's inconvenient. And that is costing the retailers a tremendous amount of money. And it's all driven by inconvenience when that doesn't have to be the case with final mile delivery being so convenient. I can't re the return mile be um, as convenient as the final mile. Yep. And by the way, you're in Chicago. I'm in the Detroit area. We have seasons. <laughs> you guys, uh, do. guys, if you're listening without seasons, look it up. It's, look it up on Google. You can see we have seasons. So we want right now, we want short sleeve shirts. We want shorts, right? The, the, we're going to wear them for the next six months. But if I bought a shirt right now and then I didn't return it for, let's just say, two, three months, that retailer is saying, hey, this is a Hawaiian shirt or a short sleeve shirt. I can't sell it. I can't sell that as easily in August because people in the Midwest say, I'm not buying something that I won't wear in, in October. So, it, so clothes are perishable in some regards. They are. I mean, especially if, if you think about luxury brands or high fashion. I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> well, I don't either. That's what I'm told. I was, I was talking to a retailer. Give a wife. <laughs> yeah, but they have a shelf life. So yes, clothes are perishable. Golf jackets don't really have much of a, of a life in Chicago in September and October because we're watching football and it's cold outside. Ah, September and October is the best time to golf. It's November when it's too cold. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a golfer, Me neither. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. So there's no season um, that's the right golf season for me. <laughs> I agree. So you said something to me before we hit record, and I've seen it on your website. You said labelless, no meaning, no label, boxless returns, and I was like, that's that sounds uh, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> so tell me, why are you guys doing this, and why does that work? So we have two patents that allow us the, the ability to do it. The reason why, you know, boxes and labels are really needed is just because 
that's the way it's always been done. You put it in a box, you have a label, you scan the label, has a tracking number, and that's how all these things are associated. But you know, with the advancement in technology, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. So specific to the box, it's really easy to hide a tissue box instead of a pair of shoes. If you seal the box up and hand it off to someone else, the retailer is not going to know about the um, fraud for three to four weeks, maybe five weeks. And by then they're not going to know who did it. And it's a problem. Up to 10% of all returns are actually fraudulent. So if you think about 20% of online returns are return, or online purchases are return, 10% of those uh, returns are fraudulent. 2% of online sales end up being fraud. That's a huge number to the retailer. Well, you think about returns cost money all by themselves. So 20%, so one in five of one in five of my sales come back and they don't come back in a timely basis. So I sold it in August. It gets returned in November. Now somebody has to go back and do the accounting and say, yeah, we thought this was a very profitable line until the returns came in. Yeah, we thought we had that. We thought this was a great product until the returns came in. We thought we had a great month until the returns came in. You don't really know. It's the it's the uh, surprise that's coming. Who knows? And it's not super predictable, I don't think, because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But then in addition to just that cost, then you said there's fraud. So to your point. I'm an, I'm supposed to return these shoes, but I decided I'll return these old shoes that I wore out already. And by the way, I also heard somebody say this not so long ago. You know, there's all these sneaker heads out there and they are buying very expensive shoes, putting clear tape on the bottom of those shoes, wearing them to a party, wearing them out, showing their friends, check out my cool shoes, Christian. And you're like, oh my God, I could never afford those. And then taking the tape off and sending them back. Yep. That is, um, I actually just finished watching Air, that movie about you know the, the genesis of Air Jordan. Oh, okay. Um, That's a really, really good movie. My brother's more of a sneakerhead than I am. He's a basketball agent here in Chicago. So I kind of understand the, 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 the space, but yeah, fraud is, people do that, right? They'll hide the tags, they'll put clear tape on the bottom of their shoes. So when we go and pick up a boxless, labelless item, right? We have the patents that we can do digital bins and associate things by geolocation and, and whatnot. But we take a picture of the item at pickup. So it starts the product verification process. And really early. Right? So that will help reduce fraud. Not only that, but it's also, if there's another set of eyes on it and it's the item and not the box, people are less likely to hand, if I'm the driver and you're returning something, you're less likely to hand me- Last year's you know, shoes. <laughs> yeah, last year's shoes or a, a, a you know bracelet your niece made you instead of an Apple watch, because like we're humans and you're looking me in the eye and it's not a box and like, you know, you kind of just push it off and then you forget about it. So, you know, there's a big problem with shrinkage now. Um, that retailers have. So this is one way to help retailers reduce shrink. And the box, the box, even though it, it serves a purpose and you go, oh, we can't do a return without a box. The box is obscuring fraud in some cases. Absolutely. You can't see inside a box. If you hand it off to, to a counter associate, they're not going to open and inspect the box. It's not their job. So 
you know, what we do is we'll send a driver out and they'll make five, six, eight pickups in a, in a you know, defined radius for one retailer. Boxes label this, they, they take a picture of each item. So it starts the chain of custody, starts product verification, starts the grading process. And then when we get to, you know, FedEx or UPS, we have private pack and ship APIs with both. The driver has a QR code, the associate scans the QR code, it says put everything in one box. And then all those things are in one box, it's associated with one tracking ID, and it's on its way to where, where the retailer needs it to go. So we still put it in a box, but in this example, we're shipping one box instead of six individual boxes, right? So it's cheaper for the retailer, it's easier for the consumer, it's better for the carrier because they're shipping less air. There's really a lot of benefits to being thoughtful about when the box is introduced in the process. Yeah. So I, again, when you said no box, I was like, before we hit record, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Cause I, I live in Michigan. I could put that on my porch and snow could get on it, rain could get on it. But you said you have pickup windows. So when I just, when I initiate a return, I say, pick it up between 12 and two at my house or 12 and four at my house, whatever. Right. So the box, I, I, I'm with you now. Yeah, we don't need that box because it's obscuring things. But also, I don't want to say right now. I don't. I'm not even a big online buyer. But I have a whole bunch of boxes in my garage. I just throw them out there. Think I'm going to do something with them at some point. They're most most likely just going to go in the re recycle bin. But we don't like to get rid of them because you never know when you're going to have to return something. But get rid of the returns box. I like that. But how does the how does this work without a label? So again, that goes to some of the patents, but the reach, the consumer has to initiate a return with the retailer, very similar to how anyone initiates return now. And there's an RMA issued, return authorization. Return authorization. So what do you call it? RNA or RMA? RMA. I, I always forget what the M stands for, but it's I think it's return management authorization. Okay. But it's basically the retailer saying, yeah, Joe, go ahead and return it. Here's, you know, whatever confirmation number. And that number means something to the retailer, right? What was the purchase order? Who bought it? How much we paid for it? We accept it into return and then eventually we have to put it back onto our shelf. But we're able to associate the RMA with the, the pickup location. So, you know, there's a, an authorization of what we're supposed to pick up and where we're supposed to pick it up. We take a picture of it and we do some product verification to validate that like this is the thing that we're supposed to get and then all of those things are associated digitally so when we go and the associate scans the qr code at the store that's associating all that data there's a digital bin there's some unique other unique identifiers so all of those items are associated to that one box that one tracking number very similar to how if those if six individual customers went through the process and they brought in six individual boxes with six individual tracking numbers, it's a similar association. You've just done it um, further upstream digitally versus everything having to be in, in individual boxes and scanning individual tracking IDs. So the driver, let's get to that driver. Who is the driver? Who picks up this stuff? You said you don't have your own drivers. We, we don't. We've, you know, the, the army of drivers have already been built by some very, you know, some great gig economy companies that are, that are partners of ours. So it's the same person that might be delivering you Chinese food. It's the same person that might be bringing you to the airport. So what we're doing is filling downtime for these drivers between delivering people and food. For the gig economy companies themselves, as they think about all the different gigs their drivers could potentially do, 
It also helps them with optimization where their drivers are closer to the next gig. So we can say, you know, if, if all else equal, there's two, two UPS stores here and this one's more optimal for the next gig, we can send all the packages to this one versus this one. So the driver is that much closer to their next, to their next gig. So as I said earlier, we lay over the existing infrastructure and that's one way we're, we're doing it where there's already gig economy drivers driving past your house. They're already going to your house to deliver your neighbor's Chinese food. Why can't they pick up your returns? And that's one of the things we've unlocked. And, and so they walk up to your, my porch, let's just say that's where I left the sweater and they come over and they say, yep, they, they take a picture that gets associated with the record that's online. And so they don't need a label because this driver has associated that with this. How does, how does he associate that return? Is he have, how does he know that picture is at my house and is getting attached to the record? So the, we're native in the driver apps for these gig economies, right? So our integrations with them are on their tech stack versus ours. So the driver doesn't have to leave their app and the work, our workflows inside their app are intuitive. So our technology says, you know, Joe, go to the corner of uh, Western and Fullerton in, um, in Chicago, pick up that item. So there's a geolocation of, of that item. You're at the right address, you take a picture, and then our technology makes the association between where the driver was, where they were dispatched, where the picture was taken to know that this is the item, you know, that, that they're supposed to pick up. Beyond the fact that just, you know, drivers, if they're there to pick up a, a sweatshirt and someone leaves a pair of shoes out there, it's probably not the right thing to pick up. Yeah, and I imagine before too long, you you mentioned you have um, AI and ML on the case, and they are going to start recognizing and flagging discrepancies. So when I say, "Hey, come pick up that two hundred dollars sweater," I'd like to return, and then I <laughs> I have some old rag sweatshirt. When the driver takes a picture, it's going to flag a discrepancy. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, you know, right now it's just a product verification. You were supposed to give me a pair of shoes and you offered me a tissue box. But it's going to get tighter and tighter every day. That's what we So think about a dress, right? My wife returns a dress. She says she doesn't wear it. She hadn't worn it. We can take a picture of it and the original tags are on there. Okay, that's grade A resellable. We can, we can sell it right away. But if we don't see those original tags, meaning she wore it, or those tags are like creased, meaning you kind of try to conceal it while you wore it and then return it, that's grade B, it's liquidation. It's not as it was presented. So that's where we're getting to, where, where to your point, you know, the restrictions would be tighter and tighter. So further upstream, we can tell the retailer, this is grade A resellable, this is grade B liquidation, this is grade C trash. The other cool thing about it is if the retailer chooses, they can initiate a refund right when the item is picked up, right? So there's some verification that the item that was returned is the item they expected to receive okay, you know, Joe, now you get your refund because you you scheduled a sweater to be picked up at 2 p.m. The driver went there at 2 p.m. They took a picture of it. It's the item they're supposed to get. Driver's on their way to the next pickup. You get your money because you completed the return of your item. I love it. You know, it's I think about just disposition. I think that's what they call the at, at the warehouse when they open up the box. Yeah. They do that disposition. Say, this sweater is fine just needs to be repackaged, right? This It's even got the tags on it. This one's good. The next one, this was clearly worn. Do we want to throw it away? Do we dry clean it? There's a process for each one of these, right? That disposition, to your point, might happen 
six weeks after purchase. And sometimes you, I, I think most companies now, I don't know this, you tell me, they don't want to give you your money, your return, you know, your, they don't want to give your money back until they've done disposition. Cause they, they might find out up oh, this guy put a rock in here rather than a pair of shoes. So I don't want to pay him his money, but getting back to it, if I think about this disposition in the current way, I buy something in August, I try it on, it doesn't work. I try it on a few different times. I finally, at some point say, I'm going to return that. I go find, see if I can find the original box, put it back in. And then I think, uh, I got to go online. And I could sometimes create the label and tape that up there. And all I have to do is drop it off at FedEx or UPS. Other times, I just have to go up there and say, hey, I'd like to return this. And I have their piece of paper and FedEx or UPS will write me a label. I've never had anyone pick it up at my house. I'm sure that can happen. I just never done it. But then it gets shipped back to, to the store, the retailer. And three weeks later, when they finally get to it, then they do disposition. So disposition, I think, is probably, I'm just thinking out loud, could be a month or more sooner with pollen. Absolutely. That's the that's the goal, right? So the majority of so we work directly with the retailers. The retailers are the ones that pay Pollen's fees. There's no charge to the customer. There's no cost to the customer. Pollen doesn't have a separate app. There's no subscription, consumer-facing subscription that they pay to pick up the returns because all the value accrues to the retailer. To your point, product disposition can happen a month faster, meaning more items can be resold, meaning higher revenue for for the retailer and what normally might have been a grade B liquidation because it took too long to get back to them, but now it can be grade A resellable and they could earn 20% more margin on, on that item. So that's one piece of it. The other piece is, you know, we talked about it earlier, but the retailer being able to get that inventory back faster, 20% of their inventory is outstanding for months in the returns process. That does not have to be the case. So beyond, you know, being able to resell more, they could potentially have more inventory productivity. Do I need 500 of, of this thing where maybe I could get away with 480 and I can use that square footage for something else? More higher velocity items, however they might want to optimize it. Because if you think about how, you know, the, the inventory optimization models work, there's a restocking, you know, restocking time or safety rates but it doesn't do a really good job of contemplating returns, especially returns that are sitting out there for 30 or 45 days. This helps them rethink that and, and better use their inventory. Yep. So I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Lean Solutions is a nearshore offshore service provider, and they provide a range of services, including operation, technology, marketing, sales, and business process outsourcing. They work with over 500 U.S. transportation and logistics companies. And what they have is this model where they have satellite offices down in Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico, and the Philippines. And their, their approach is real low cost, low risk, low hassle. They have 9,000 employees now. They're one of the fastest growing companies in America. And again, everybody I know seems to be working with them. But if you're not working with them, check them out. Lean Group, L E 
leangroup.com. And by the way, my podcast is edited by someone from Lean Lean Solutions Group. They're a fantastic company. I just did an interview with Ryan Mann. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Check them out. So I love I love what you're doing because I think you're going to catch, and it might not happen day one. I suspect it's happening day one with the retailers because if I, as a person, have to hand you a rock and say, this is the sweater that I bought, <laughs> and you're like, all right, I'm taking a picture of it. I'm going to send it back to them, and they're they're going to know. I'm not dumb. I'm I'm going to at least try and if I'm trying to be fraudulent, I'm going to be discouraged. So I think you're going to discourage fraud. Customers are going to learn. I can't be fraudulent. It's not that simple anymore. I'm not putting it in a box, and five weeks later they're opening it. So we're going to discourage fraud. You're also making the majority of us who are not fraud frauds the return process much easier because I don't have to, a lot of people don't have printers anymore, so they can't print out anything. (laughs) I can, but my printer, half the time it doesn't want to do its job. So I end up going to FedEx or UPS to return stuff. Again, I, it's like the last thing I want to do. And I don't even buy that much. It's a pain in the ass though. So better for the customer, the return process is easier it's going to be better for the retailer because it's going to discourage fraud and we're going to get that disposition right up front. And I think it gets better every single day. Plus, I have much better chance of reselling it during the right season. This is this is like win, win, win. And by the way, I didn't even mention your gig economy workers have another stream of income. Yep, they, they have another stream of income. They can maximize their earning potential. You know, every city that, that Spencer and I go to, we, we strike up a conversation with whoever's driving us between the airport and the, and the hotel. In some markets, they really dislike delivering food. In some markets, they really dislike picking up people on weekends. And in some markets, just given where the airport is relative to, you know, like I, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, not too long ago. And the airport's like 30 miles away from the university. I was talking to the, the gig driver that was, was bringing me to the university. And uh, I was like, well, you know, there's a really long haul out here to the airport. So the only time it makes sense to hang out during the airport is when the volunteers are playing. Other than that, it's really difficult to get up. So we can help with that, right? We can help fill that downtime. We can give them something else to do. The other piece too is, you know, the the carriers, instead of having to make six individual stops or not even make the, the pickups, having six individual customers bring in six individual boxes, we put those six items into a single box. So now the carrier makes six stops at once, so to speak, and they're only shipping one box with six items. So it helps with their cube utilization. It helps with their margin. So it, 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 there's also some value added in it for the carriers. Yeah, yeah. This this is win win win. I mean, this is this is a this is a slam dunk. And I I think you just get this processes and companies like yours. They just make they start off good and get better and better and better. So I can see. Not so long in the future, you mentioned the instant auth, um, instant disposition. That's just going to be really simple where somebody says, yep, if you can take that picture and if it matches what we know that sweater is supposed to look like, boom, you get paid right now to return. That's right. And who doesn't like that as a consumer? I've also, I, I think we've all experienced this. When you buy something, it doesn't fit and then you have to return it. And you go, oh, I have to return this, but I'm, I wanted to wear it to this party or to this event. 
and now you have to return it. And then on top of that, you feel like I got to run out and buy another one. And sometimes it could be very expensive. You say, I don't want to spend another $200 on another sweater while I wait for this one to be approved. So yeah, yeah this, this, this is all, this is great. So what, who are you currently working with? Well, first off, who's going to be the sweet spot when you guys, I mean, we called today's painless retail returns. So I'm assuming retailers are going to be one of the sweet spots. Who are you currently working with? So we have, we have a few customers. One's a small medical device company. Um, there's a tire company and we're at late stage uh, sales discussions, like bottom of funnel conversations with retailers ranging from, you know, 500 million in revenue all the way up to uh, a handful of fortune 500 companies. You know, other, other markets that make sense are companies that refurbish electronics, telecommunication companies that have modems and other things in people's homes, internet service or cable providers that have satellite dishes or cable boxes or whatever it might be. So, you know, those are kind of the, the, sweet, the sweet spot for us. Really, any, anyone that has something in retail value between $40 and, and $400, that's a traditional, you know, classically small parcel type item. We're not going to do furniture. We're not going to do some other things. Uh, but the vast majority of, of retail is a perfect fit for us. So you said tire company. How are you working with tire companies? So apparently it's a lot of fraud in tires. I didn't know that. So yeah, we, you know, we have gig economy companies um, that have pickup trucks that can go and handle, you know, picking up tires from a, you know, a mechanics or, or auto shop and bring it back to a distributor's warehouse or Sometimes there's big DIY garages uh, that that also need similar services. Yeah. By the way, you know, um, you know the freight business, and you know there's fraud going on, um, double brokering stuff like that. One of the other things is uh, it happens with interchange agreements. So, like, if I have a, a tractor and a trailer, and you have a tractor and a trailer, and then I say, "Hey, um, Christian, I'll meet you in Grand Rapids, and I'll give you my trailer." And, and I'll take yours. Sometimes I've heard people say this. It especially happens when it goes over the border. Sometimes you have an interchange partner. And if you don't have a good interchange partner and you say, hey, I don't know Christian, but I'm working with him, swap out the tires. So I was talking to a trucking company that I was doing some work with. And they said, yeah, we sent one of our trucks down to Mexico. It came back, or the trailer came back with old tires. It had brand new tires. They swapped them up for old ones. Well, that's a lot of money. So, so this is why you have to vet your partners, fellas. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we, we stay in a defined geography, right? It's so like here in Chicago, I live in, I live in Bucktown, Chicago. So we might have multiple drivers out on routes for a single retailer, right? One driver is going to do a half mile radius. Another driver might do a Two mile, two mile radius, and they're all going to go back to the individual um, FedEx or UPS stores. Or if the retailer has a storefront, we can bring it back to a storefront like on Michigan Avenue here in Chicago. So we're not going to have the items for you know more than four hours. Right? We pick them up, we we deliver them. It, it's on its way same day. We don't warehouse, we don't store. Uh, we're not making long hauls from you know Chicago to Mexico. Right. What well, one other thing we talked about before we hit record that I think is going to be. Important for the retail and for the online businesses, we are starting to see, I think Amazon is starting to charge for some returns. And I think, I told you before when we were talking about it is, I think they're going to wrap it up in the 
in the uh, language of sustainability, that returns are bad for sustainability, which probably is, but it's also just so costly. I, I heard, somebody quoted this on my podcast, that it's 10 times more expensive to send something back than it is to sell it to them. Oh, yeah. And so it's a massive expense, not counting fraud, not counting all the things we just discussed. And um, we have to get rid of these. By the way, I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with Amazon's retail strategy. I heard they're pulling back a little bit, but there was always discussion. They're going to buy Kohl's and other things like that. And I know they were supposed to open a retail store in Dearborn by my, my mom's house, but they pulled back out of that. So I know some things are changing there. But we all know part of Amazon's retail strategy would be returns because they have to deal with, it's got to be millions of returns every day. Yeah. I mean, Amazon's starting to charge uh, for some returns. There are other retailers that are starting to charge or forcing you to sign up for some elite membership or their branded credit card in exchange for, for free returns. And it's the reason is exactly what you said. It's really expensive to do it. They might say it's under a guise of sustainability when it may or may not be. I think the primary driver is just the current way of doing it is antiquated and expensive. So like that's where Pound is revolutionizing it, where it's cheaper, faster, and greener for, for the retailers. It's more convenient for the consumers. It's you know better margin for, for the carriers. So my my hope, our thesis is that Retailers that partner with Pollen won't have to charge consumers for returns. And in fact, consumers will have a more convenient experience that they don't have to pay for. I mean, for me, it'd be really frustrating if I have to go through the effort and doing the work, boxing it, labeling it, and bringing it somewhere, then I have to pay $7 for it. That would frustrate me. You know, that's so true. I just bought a toaster, just a cheap toaster over. I went over to Target. I ran in, I ran out. It was 20 five bucks put on the counter and the box was sitting there for the last week. And I just picked up the box today and I was like, if this toaster broke today, would I return it to target for $25? Probably not that I'm a busy man. I have to talk to people like you. So I was like, eh, throwing the box out. I don't care. And again, I hate throwing out boxes. It always feels like you're, you're doing the wrong thing, but, um, one other thing, and uh, maybe this can be the next project you guys fix. We have to do a better job with sizing. I feel like it's such a joke when, when if somebody wants to charge me because I bought the wrong size, why did I buy the wrong size? Because I like to like the hassle of returns. Well, I bought the wrong size because you guys don't know what you're doing. You won't help me be a good customer. We have to do a better job. I would love to see retailers do more with the phone apps where you can say, hey, put your arms up here, put your arms over your head, and then it sizes you for that shirt. And you say, this is the right size to buy. Yeah. We have to do better. Because again, they, they're a lot of retail uh, online. I feel like you're asking for it. Women's clothes have always been like that. But I feel like men's clothes are like that too. And we have to, if you want to save that money, do, do a better job with the sizing. Help yeah, me get I mean, the right size. So, so what I do is I barely, very rarely go outside of my core brands because me too. I know they fit. And if it doesn't, like I exactly what you said. So I'm more hesitant to try something new unless I can go to a store and try it on. You know, it's so like if I, but if I didn't have a favorable returns policy, I never would have found my my favorite brand of blazer. 
that I wear at every conference, right? But like, I wouldn't have tried it because there's no retail store, but I also wouldn't have tried it if they didn't have a, a favorable returns policy. So well, I what think is it? you got to tell us what it is now. We wear oh, proper cloth. Um, I do. So I love proper cloth blazers and, and dress shirts. And I, I, you know, I kind of found that through online shopping and just, you know, yeah, the first they, one. they're on my feed. I used to get a lot of emails from them. I might've, I might've deleted their emails, but yep. Proper cloth. I've definitely, I know it's a nice brand. Yeah, no, they have, their, their, their blazers are great. I wear, I wear them all the time. See kids, all the, all the cool kids are wearing them. You want to get yourself a proper cloth blazer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I had two, two custom made for my, for my wedding uh, not too long ago. So yeah, but I wouldn't have tried it if um, it didn't have a returns policy. So I do feel like the only way some of these brands can can grow or reach a new customer market is have a convenient returns experience. It can't be more closed off in that you have to pay to do all the work. It has to be more open and convenient, else it'll be harder to meet people in new markets where there's no no retail store. And to your point, if they don't have a convenient way to digitally try something on, this Delivery, return, delivery, return. It's gonna, it's gonna stay unless something changes. Yep, yep, totally agree. So I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, Christian. Who else should I have on my podcast? Yeah, we were talking a little bit about that earlier. My first four or five names you, you struck me out on because you already talked to them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna throw out Jakob Moose from Transporting. Uh, he's formerly from Tracks for Trucks. Really interesting guy, really energetic, just a, a really great conversation. So thank Jakob Moose. And what is what what does he do? He is well, he was the founder of Trax and then they were acquired by Transporian. I think he's the director of logistics sustainability at uh, Transporian. So he's just a what does Transporian do? Transporian is a, a European based TMS. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'd love to talk to them. So if you can get me an introduction, well, I could probably find him on LinkedIn. He doesn't have a hard name. <laughs> no, just, yeah, Jakob Moose, M-U-U-S. Um, but I'd be happy to introduce you to him. But yeah, that'd be, that'd be my recommendation. He'd, be, uh, he'd bring a lot of energy to the show. I love it. I love it. So uh, what I'll do, Christian, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to your uh, website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. And I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. Uh, so what conferences will we see you at? So I was at Manifest and Shop Talk uh, earlier this year in Las Vegas. Spencer and I just got back from the Green Mountain Technology Summit in Memphis, uh, which is actually my favorite um, industry conference. I don't know that we'll be at any other conferences this year. I th we, we will be at 1871 later in the fall. But well, you, so you, both, you and Spencer both have kids do, right? Yeah, my, my first is coming in July. We're not finding out the, the sex. It's one of the few surprises in the world, right? So um, we're waiting for that. But Spencer's second boy is coming four days before before my first my first baby's coming. Very nice. So we'll, we'll I'll see you next year at Manifest. How about we'll that? Be, we'll be there, yeah. <laughs> All right, Spencer. Or Spencer. <laughs> Spencer's your partner. Christian, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really love what you guys are doing because when you first said it to me, label this box list returns i was like oh, i don't know i don't know <laughs> this is not doesn't sound like the real world but it's a better world i, I love what you guys are doing it's yeah i love it when you see somebody who's actually kind of walked the process not just assumed that tech is going to solve everything but actually really dug in because we've all been doing returns for years now without question 
you put it in a box, you tape that box up very poorly, <laughs> you go get a label and you return it and it's not good. And so I love the fact that you guys are really taking a fresh look at returns. I really appreciate it. We're looking forward to it and uh, really appreciate being on your show, Joe. Yep. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.